Today's the last message in the series, I can't believe. Next week, we're starting a new series. If you feel trapped in your life, um, like you're on some hamster wheel and you just can't get out and there's something more and you're just missing it, this next series is really for you. It's called Exodus, and it's from a book by the same name. And just talking about not just the freedom God wants in our lives, but, but the purpose and the mission and the goal and the inheritance. And so next week starts that series. But this is the last one, and this is one of the most um, troubling questions and life experiences to go through. What happens when God disappoints you? And, and as I said before, maybe that's not strong enough a word. Maybe a better word is abandonment or betrayal. Because that's how, how it feels like. Where is God when this happened? And, and looking out and thinking of some of your stories, where was God in my divorce? Where was God when I lost my wife? Where was God when I, where's God now when my health is really not good? You know, I lost my child. I lost my hand. Um... And billionaire Ted Turner, something you probably didn't know about him, he was a religiously committed high schooler. He uh, started CNN and TBS, donated a billion dollars to UN at one point, uh, quite a larger-than-life figure um, back in the day. He's still alive, but I, it doesn't make the news much anymore. Um, but when he was a teenager, he was actually so active in his youth group, it was said he wanted to be a missionary. But then when he was 15 and his sister was 12, she was diagnosed with a very, very deadly form of lupus. And she was nauseous and throwing up on a daily basis and her screams would fill the house. His dad, Ed Turner, who was a millionaire in his own right, would, would come home and often hold her hand and, and rub her back and try to comfort his daughter. And, when, uh, and he would pray. Ted's father, Ed, would, would pray for his daughter's healing, and it said that she often prayed for her death. It was just so painful. Five years after her diagnosis, when she was 17 and Ted Turner was just 20, she did pass away and died. And the lesson Ted's father took away from that was, if that's the kind of God he is, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And five years after that, when Ted was just 25 and his dad was 53, he got up one morning, had breakfast with his wife, went upstairs and took a, a, a silver 38 caliber pistol and put it in his mouth and ended his life. That sealed the deal for Ted Turner. And he echoed his father's sentiments. If that's the kind of God he is, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And as far as I know... His entire life has lived up to that mantra. What do you do when God, when you're in the worst, hardest, most difficult trials and situations of your life and God seems absent? I often quote C.S. Lewis. He's my favorite author. And um, he wrote this, not one of the top 10 most liked quotes of his. I can't understand why God's always there when things are going well. 
But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. Why is God so present in our time of prosperity and so very absent in our time of trouble? Now, if you know about C.S. Lewis, you'll know that as a young man, he was an atheist. And you think, well, maybe he wrote that as an atheist. No. Well, maybe he wrote that soon after he got saved. No. He wrote this near the end of his life after his wife died of cancer. And he came out of this time of trial and his faith was even stronger for it. But in the midst, I think he, he articulates well how we feel and what it's like to have that dark night of the soul where everything's going wrong and God seems to be nowhere. So what do you do when God disappoints you? There's a couple options. Number one, you might lose your faith. Just say, you know, he was never there to begin with. I, I don't believe in him. Or maybe you isolate that question from your faith. That this, this brings about a very weak and half-hearted faith because basically what you're doing is you're separating. You're saying, I don't understand and this, this pain is so deep. I don't, want, I don't want to question my faith because I'm afraid it won't stand up to the questioning. So I'm just going to just separate the two and pretend the one doesn't exist and, and live in the one reality and not in the other. And, and you can never be totally, wholeheartedly in love with Jesus if you're in that situation because you don't ever really trust him to, to bring that pain into the light of day and to examine it and to think it through, isolate that question from your faith, or you can press deeper into your faith. And of course, that's what I desire for each and every one of us here. And we're going to look at a story in the New Testament about Jesus where he is confronted with number, a number of people who are incredibly disappointed in him, and two in particular called Mary and Martha. And it picks up in John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, village Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is letting us know these are not passing acquaintances of Jesus. These individuals, they knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. He knew them whenever he would visit Jerusalem. He would stop at Bethany. It was two miles from Jerusalem. And so he'd spend the night many times. And these were good, good friends of his. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Well, that's a heartening statement. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Again, they're not exaggerating their relationship with Jesus in order to have him come and help them out in their time of need. Uh, Jesus and John knew, everybody knew, man, they are tight, they're close, and so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. So he really loves Lazarus and he just hangs out and kills time for another two days. I'm sure he was doing something, but 
But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going to go back. So this is part of the thing. If he goes back to Bethany, that is two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, last time he was there, they were just all worked up. The leaders, the politicians, the, the priests, the religious establishment, they wanted him like to leave. They wanted to kill him. It was, it was really, and they're like, are you sure? And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. That's a good sign, right? Sometimes someone is, is sick and they're just all restless and, and then finally they go to sleep and you're like, that's good. But of course, that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Here's the thing about Jesus. What he says on purpose, he often says things that are misunderstood. And also, his actions are also misunderstood and not understood. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Okay, so at this point, no one understands why Jesus has been doing what he's doing except for Jesus. Right? Everyone else on earth. Okay, so Lazarus is sick. He waits two days. Now, when you see the math later, when Jesus gets to where to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so, two-day journey there, some say even three, but two-day journey there, he's been dead for two days, I mean, four days. That means even if Jesus got on the fastest horse and rode off as fast as possible, the moment he heard that Lazarus was sick, he wouldn't have gotten there in time. Lazarus died shortly after the messengers told him he was sick. But it still doesn't make sense. Okay, so Lazarus is dead already. But Jesus could heal from a distance, right? He had done that before. He doesn't have to even be there. And Jesus knows everything. So he knew he was sick before the messengers even came. And then even if you, you disregard that, like if you have good friends, really good friends, and they lose a loved one, a brother, like, do you just hang out and you don't go to comfort them? Why would Jesus wait to go to, even to comfort them? He should have been right there, right away. And, and I think we need, we need to understand and drink deeply this morning of, of how confused and not understanding Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, would have been. Like, we sent for Jesus. Where is he? Well, maybe something happened. He's a day late. He's still not here. He's two days late. Where is he? We thought he loved us. We thought. The story goes on. And um, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And so here's the question I want to ask you. What what do you need to overcome disappointment? So we know there's three responses to disappointment with God. You can either basically be a Ted Turner and say he doesn't exist, or if he does, he's evil or, or, or vindictive or something, and I don't want to have anything to do with him. 
or we can have that disconnect. But if, if we want to run to Jesus, if we want to lean in to God in our disappointment, what do we need? And the interesting thing about this story is that both sisters make the same accusation to Jesus. And he answers them in two completely different ways. And I, I never had realized that before, that they both say the same thing to him. And the first one to talk to him is Martha. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is the accusation, and it is a true one. Where were you when he needed you, when we needed you? But Martha is interesting. You know, there's, there's another story about Mary and Martha. And I know I got some Martha lovers here. All right, Martha gets a bad rap in the other story. Uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus is there in Bethany, and, and Lazarus is there, and Mary and Martha, and, and Martha's, Martha's very practical. And she was, she was doing the figuring. She's like, okay, 12 disciples and Jesus and then the three of us and then all those other guests and those ladies that came and the men and the crowd. And she's like, I'm going to have to kill four more chickens. And I got to pluck them and boil them. And, and she's rushing around making all the preparations. And when they cooked from scratch back then, I mean, it was literally from scratch, right? You get the chicken that's scratching and you, 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 you just everything. You got to do it all. And, and Martha is, and Mary's just there at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. And Martha's just beside herself. And eventually she could stand it no longer. And she goes to Jesus. And she's like, Lord, tell my sister that she needs to help me. And Jesus' response is, Martha, Martha, you are so busy and so concerned about so many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is best. Listening to me is more important than eating. It's more important than hospitality. It's more important than anything. And so many Christians kind of dismiss Martha. Oh, Martha, you know, knowing actually that many of us are wired like that to do. Interestingly, in this story, Martha, I think, shows much greater faith than Mary. It may be there in Mary's life as well, but she doesn't show it like Martha does because Martha makes this accusation but then says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She, she's not accusing Jesus of not being righteous. She's like, I know you're righteous and you should have been here. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Again, Martha is not thinking. She's not saying, I know God will do whatever, you know, can do whatever he wants through you and you can raise Lazarus from the dead and that's plan B. No, she, because when he says he's going to rise again, she's like, well, theologically, I know eventually thousands of years from now when, you know, Jesus, you know, when the kingdom is set up and every, you know, we will rise physically, and, and, but that's, of course, not... And you might say, well, why didn't she think that Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead? Because he'd raised other people from the dead. And that's where you need to understand the, the, the magnitude of this miracle. Because the others he raised from the dead, that little girl, Jairus' daughter, he got there minutes, maybe a couple hours at the most, after she had died. And, and we know today, you hear stories in certain countries and things where, even in America occasionally, where someone, they think they're dead, and they 
put them in a, a casket or, in a, or, you know, they put them somewhere to be taken away and then they revive and, oh man, they, they came back. This is amazing. And so Jesus, you know, had raised people from the dead. There was a, a young man who was being brought out, being taken to his grave. The day of his death, he raised him from the dead. But Lazarus was different. He'd been dead for four days. Dead and buried and rotted and gone, gone. And so nobody is thinking, you know, that, that Jesus is about to do what he's about to do. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And her response is one of, of great faith, yes. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's to come into the world. So this, this circumstance, it shakes her faith, but it, she doesn't lose it. And Jesus' response to her is interesting because he, he, he's, one of the things that helps us overcome disappointment is truth. And so his response to Martha is, Martha, let me ask you about what's true. Am I true? Do you believe in me? Am I? Who am I, Martha? And she, she reminds herself and she, she tells Jesus and she tells herself, this is what's true. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You can do anything. And I trust you. I don't understand and I'm accusing you because I don't understand, but, but my faith is shaken, but it's still there. Truth that cannot be shaken. And, and that is one of the things that can help us in our time of doubt and disappointment and when we feel abandoned by God. And you, the way to do this is you cannot make up a God in your own image. If, if your God thinks just like you do, and acts like you would, then ultimately you're saying, I'm the straight line, I know the right way, I'm the truth, I am what is right. But Jesus in this passage, he says, no, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that, that's what we have to understand, what is true? And the passage continues, and I just realized that it's not John 11, it's John 16, so it's kind of wrong. But um, after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And so you have that, that, that response that Jesus had to Martha was, Martha, what's true? And I think that's because Martha could handle truth at that point. His response to Mary is, is very different. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus does not talk about truth with Mary. Jesus does not confront her about uh, what she believes and doesn't believe in. He just cries with her. And, and it's interesting, the same accusation, totally different answers. What do you need to overcome disappointment? Sometimes you need truth that can't be shaken. And other times you need love that is felt. 
And that's what Jesus was doing. And this, this Jesus wept really is, is initially quite confusing to me because we know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. <laughs> he knows what's going to happen in 10 minutes. Like, like he's going to raise, I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, Mary, Mary, <laughs> it's going to be okay. You'll see. But that's not what he says. You know, that's not what he tells us either. Because if you think about it, God is really old. I mean, he has existed, I mean, outside of time. So trillions of years ago, I mean, God, God in fact, he says later on, I think it's in First or Second Peter, he says, a thousand years is like a day to me. And so, you know, to God... All of our pain, 50 years of pain and, and, and crisis and, and hardship is like 10 minutes. And his response to anyone here who's been going through, maybe this has not been, a, it's not just been a bad year, this has been a bad decade. His response isn't there, there. It'll be, get better. His response is to weep with us. And isn't that what you want when you're hurting? You don't want a friend coming and telling you, it'll get better. It'll be okay. Maybe you do. Maybe you're at that point. Maybe you're like Martha and you just need to be reminded what's true. This is just for a season. You can trust God in this. But maybe you're like Mary and all you want is just that friend to sit down next to you and weep. So that you're not alone. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what not, Jesus didn't just do that with Mary. He's doing that with many of you right now. And, and to him, it's like 10 minutes and everything is going to make sense to you and it's going to be so much better and you'll be in heaven. But right now, he just weeps with those who weep. A love that is felt. Sometimes you don't need answers. Sometimes you need family. And I think that's why He's given us the body of Christ. We don't have the, the physical body of Christ. Jesus can't physically, like he did with Mary, come and sit down next to you like he did with Mary and just weep. And this is not like his eyes watered up kind of cry. This is a weeping cry of Jesus. Perhaps even, in fact, the, the, the word has is a connection to, to wailing. There might even be a, a, a shout, a verbalization of, of sorrow. Jesus is expressing here. And you know what? Today, we don't have Jesus physically, but we have something that he calls the body of Christ. And this is where we need to come alongside of each other and do this with one another. And if you are not part of a small group, that's a great place to find good Christian friends. And not only because you will need it, or maybe you need it now, but because someone else probably needs you. And so I, I want to encourage, so if you are part of a small group this morning that is open, that means you want other people to come to it, okay, for various reasons. Sometimes people don't want people to come to their group. You know, they're, they're, there's a, anyway. I'm over-explaining. But if you're a part of a small group and you are open to others coming, I want you to raise your hand right now if you're a part of a small group, okay? All right, now you're going to take, and it's open. Now you want to take another step. Stand up, all right? 
I know, you raised your hand. I saw you. All right, stand up. See all these people? They're in a group. If, they, if, if you know them and you, you are not part of a group, go ask them where, where they're, you know, what, what time, where is they meeting? Okay, can you all sit down? Um, maybe you don't know them, but this one looks scary. Rusty looked kind of scary, but this guy over here, he looked like Santa minus the beard. So, <laughs> anyway, just... Um, and online, you can, you can text in the chat right now online and say, I'm looking for a group. I think they'll probably put up a, a link even for that to just, we need to connect with others because sometimes you just need someone to be with you like Jesus was. And when you're disappointed, go to the truth. When can you read God's word? Do you, do you make that a habit every day to read God's word? The best time to strengthen your faith is before the crisis. So if you're not in a crisis right now, this is the best time to do these things. But the second best time is when you're in a crisis, right? And, and, so, and if you're in a crisis, I'd encourage you to read the Psalms. And just read the Psalms and, until you get to a Psalm that you say, that's my situation, that's me. Um, and then just hold on to that and pray Pray those words to God. If you're not, I encourage you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, a great place to begin reading the Bible about the life of Jesus. And just read a little bit. I mean, if you want to read the entire, you know, just for hours on end, that's great. But, but when you stop, just remember one story, remember one thing and take it with you through the day because we need that truth to help us in times of disappointment and and, and doubt of God. Jesus continues to go, the story. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. This was typical in that day, especially for wealthy people. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. And again, practical Martha. Jesus, have you done the math? Four days, Jesus, you don't want that kind of stench. But then Jesus said, uh, take away the stone. So Jesus goes on and he says, um, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And if you can just scroll through that. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And um, in verse 43, he then says, when he said this, Jesus called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth was over his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so now everybody realizes, now everybody understands, that's why you waited two days. That's why you did everything you did. And it all neatly comes together and is tied with a bow. Many times our story isn't like that. It takes a little bit longer. But this is ultimately what, what God does for all those who love him. He brings us to pass. And one of the great things is he includes us in it. Think about the guys that rolled away the stone. Man, if I was the guy that rolled, that would be my, that would be my lead in line every time I met someone new. Hi, I'm Bob. I'm the guy that rolled away the stone for Lazarus. 
That was me. Yeah, I didn't really have anything to do with the miracle, but Jesus said, roll away the stone, and I rolled away the stone. You know, and, and that's what God does with us. There, there's so much we cannot do. We can't, this, this flower here for Jackson, we can't save anybody. But you can be like Nicole, who invited him to church with her. And, and, and you know, she can't say, yeah, I saved Jackson. No, no, I rolled away the stone, and then God worked in his heart. And, and so I just want to encourage you to do that and be a part. And here's the, the, the crazy thing about the end of this story, the really very touching thing. John points out, as you continue to read, if I were to go, we need to wrap up. Verse 47, he talks about how um, this is the beginning of the end for Jesus. This miracle was so, uh, brought so much fame. People were so amazed by it. And Lazarus went around telling everybody, wouldn't you? Like I was four days, and Mary and Martha, they went around telling everybody, and so many people were there, and so many had come to the funeral over the course of those four days and had seen it, and they knew, like it couldn't be hidden, and Jesus' popularity skyrocketed, and his enemies realized there's only one way to fix this. We have to kill Jesus, and they actually started conspiring to kill Lazarus as well. And so the only way Jesus could bring an end to Lazarus's funeral was by beginning his own funeral. And that's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. He died for you so you could live for him. And that's the picture of baptism, going into the grave and saying, my old life is over. That's the picture. And now, it's like I'm, I'm... I'm resurrected. I'm a new person. And my life is now to live for God. Is that where you're at? Is that, is that, that, that is our mission in life. That is, what, that is why Jesus came. That is why he loves us so much. So that we could be different. So that we could be like him. So that we could live a resurrected life like Lazarus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just... Thank you that uh, you die, that Jesus died for us. I think of his words in this passage, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. God, help us to live for you. And I thank you for dying for us. God, help us to trust you. I know right now there are there are marriages hanging by a thread. There are marriages that are gone and dead. There are people listening online and here in person with cancer. And the doctors have said, you're never, you're never getting over it. God, there, there are parents who don't know where their kids are. And that relationship has been irreparably broken, gone. Lord, there's so much going on in our lives. And it doesn't make sense and we don't understand, but I just thank you that we can trust you in it. And that uh, you weep with us in it. And I thank you for what's true. That there will be a day where you straighten everything that's crooked and you right every wrong. And we'll look back and see now I understand. Or maybe we won't, but it won't matter because we'll be in your presence 
God, just help us to trust you in the meantime. Help us to spread this, this truth about you to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.